If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We're here today with the co-creator of HBO's Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty, Mr. Max Borenstein. How does, well, first of all, when it comes to sports dramas, you know, on the big screen, it's like boxing always works. Baseball, on and off, basketball, not so much. But how is it in television? Was this a hard show to get? through, you know, get into development. Um, Because I was thinking to myself of great TV sports dramas outside of, you know, 30 for 30. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm thinking, well, what was there? It was Dan Fogelman's pitch. Oh, it's Friday Night Lights, you know. Oh, yeah, Friday Night Lights. terrific, but has the advantage. You know, it has the advantage of football and football has the advantage of helmets. And helmets have the advantage of very elegantly uh, allowing you to substitute great stunt and sports uh, people in exchange for your great actors. Uh, and you know, so you you can shoot an absolutely professional-looking football sequence, uh, which also, because of the nature of football, is is more. Um, uh, uh, digestible in terms of a play, the play ends, another play, the play ends. Basketball has a lot more fluidity and run and gun, uh, especially a game like Showtime, like the Showtime offense, where it it's just constantly in motion. Uh, and that's a lot to choreograph. You know, one football play, uh, you know, the ball gets snapped, the quarterback goes back, let's say, they pass it, to the one guy who you've decided is going to get the ball. It's, it's relatively, there's a lot going on, but it's relatively easy to streamline. Uh, whereas, you know, basketball is a lot more uh, difficult to make comprehensible uh, on screen uh, to get inside of on screen. Uh, and I think, and you ha- have the disadvantage of everyone's face being <laughs> utterly visible the entire time, which means you can't hide. So, so on this point, look, uh, you're, you're making a film about basketball. The actors have to know how to play basketball. Um, di- did you splice footage, like real footage with, with the actors? Well, we don't, have, we didn't have any access to, you know, real footage of the NBA. Uh, and, and honestly, that would have been, it would have been very difficult to do. What we did do is, you know, we obviously, it's really like making an action movie, uh, you know, and so we're using, uh, we're able to splice, uh, you know, we have our, our basketball doubles, uh, doing, you know, incredible performing incredibly. And then we have the actual, um, uh, actors, uh, performing the same stunts, the same motions. 
and uh, and we're intercutting between those as seamlessly as possible to try to uh, create the uh, illusion that that all that you know that the combo is as great uh, as Magic Johnson, as great as Cream and Bill Jabbar, and as specifically themselves because they play in such a unique style. So Max, how did how did Jeff Perlman's book come to you? Yeah, so. Um, uh, so Jim Hecht, uh, who is a Angelino and a big Laker fan, like myself, had uh, optioned the book Showtime uh, something on the order of 12 years ago, whenever it came out, uh, and was passionate about the idea of uh, seeing if he could turn it into some kind of television series. I think he had in mind at the time a limited series, and he was pounding the pavement for years, uh, trying to convince people that this was something that was a viable idea. Um, and uh, uh, he found his way uh, through Kevin Messick, Adam McKay's producing partner to Adam, who's a huge basketball fan. And they brought it to HBO and were looking for uh, a showrunner and a writer to create it uh, and, uh, and, and, and kind of crack the code on how to do it. Um, and I had a relationship with HBO at that point and had, had been working with them on a few different things. Um, and, uh, and through a mutual friend, I think Jim, because this was such a passion project for him, wanted to make sure that whoever came aboard to sort of take the reins was someone who actually had legitimate passion and love for the subject matter and the Lakers in particular. And, uh, and our mutual friend connected us or told him about me and um, that I uh, that I was the real deal in that regard. And um, and I read the book and I, you know, I'll admit like initially I saw it as, you know, a wonderful story, but I thought about it in more limited terms and literally limited terms, thinking about it as like a, a limited series that would be more about the narrative, the events uh, of what transpired over the course of a decade of, uh, of this particular dynasty. And then it was only in getting into it and really starting to write the pilot um, and learn in writing them more about these characters that I realized uh, it just felt very apparent that this was an ongoing story, that there was, this was an opportunity uh, to take the, 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 this particular lens of, of professional sports and of basketball uh, and use it to view uh, a real epic story and an epic American story of a cultural transformation, economic transformation, uh, all the great American themes fit and, and are sort of refracted through this prism. Uh, and, uh, and I think that really sort of started, that launched into a new gear and got me more excited uh, and, um, and I think is what ultimately, uh, has, has, has powered us, uh, creatively. Uh, and then, and then, you know, it took Jim years to sort of get anyone interested, but then once that, once the pilot script was written, um, after, uh, you know, once I, I, I sent it in maybe like, you know, on a weekend and that weekend, I think I heard, uh, McKay was attached as a producer. Um, and there was always the hope that maybe he would direct the pilot, uh, but that was not by any means guaranteed. 
and uh, and got the call that he was just really passionate about it and wanted to do it. And things moved. Really what was the what was the um, resistance to this? Because well, I don't know that there was resist. It's you know like everything. I don't know that it's so much resistance. Um, because it's such a great story. I I think I honestly I think it's like some some of it is just it's never been done. You know, no one's ever done uh, on a few levels. Actually, uh, I pinch myself all the time, grateful that we're the first to do a thing like this. That no one else has taken a dynasty story about any sports team that's real and uh, really given it the treatment uh, of an ongoing drama that just hasn't happened. Uh, and there's, you know, there's complexity when you're dealing with real, you know, real people and adaptations in that way, but you know, that kind of thing gets done. Um, there's, you know, there's the challenge of reproducing the sports as you talked about, and, you know, baseball is less, uh, you know, consistently athletic and a lot easier. Football is a lot easier. You can, you can put them in helmets and basketball is, you know, both, you know, uh, barefaced and incredibly athletic and difficult to cheat. And so there's that complexity. And I, I think uh, uh, just, you know, anything, anytime something hasn't been done, I, people haven't, haven't thought about it. And I feel like we lucked into something that is so rich and, uh, and just a gift that keeps on giving because the, the characters are an incredible cross-section of uh, you know, American, uh, specific people and also American types from, from all, uh, across, uh, the map and, and, and the spectrum in terms of where they come from. And, you know, I constantly say, you know, and we were talking about it just today in the writer's room, we don't have royalty in America. Uh, we have celebrities, you know, our royals aren't born, they're made. And that really is what this story is about. And, and sports has become, and this is a story about the moment that sports became uh, entertainment, right? Part of that ecosystem, uh, rather than simply being an athletic contest, which, you know, prior to this, in many ways, it had, been. you know, there were famous athletes, but you wouldn't call, um, uh, you wouldn't certainly in the NBA uh, call them celebrities on, in the main, on the main stage, whereas obviously today, uh, that's just absolutely the case. And the NBA in turn has become uh, almost like the um, like a crucible for modern culture uh, for the cutting edge of whether it be hip hop culture and, and fashion. Uh, so it's uh, and that starts here in this moment. Um, and uh, so it really becomes a story of uh, of so many things. And it's also a story of, you know, a moment where gender politics were shifting, a moment where racial politics were shifting and um, it's really this incredible yeah. lens onto so much of the American story that I look at it as being, you know, a great American novel kind of show, uh, which tend to be my favorite shows because it's something where you can get really specific uh, and really nuanced and at the same time have this sort of grandiosity and the scope to it where there's a, the IP as it were, has this inherent excitement to it because I want to see those moments of transformation of how we got from there to where we are now. And this show, uh, you know, I think at its best is able to operate on all those levels and deliver you uh, emotional moments for characters, as well as sort of, uh, you know, 
uh, goosebump moments as sort of like cultural touchstones. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So for those not familiar with the book, how much of the series, how much of the book was adapted for season one? Really, it's the, you know- the, I have the, to imagine- The book covers a decade, about 12 years essentially, uh, from 1979 when Magic gets drafted uh, until 1991, uh, 92 with the HIV diagnosis and the dream team and so forth. Uh, this covers- you know, our first, we cover the first basketball season in our first, uh, in our first season of television, which is the 1979-1980 basketball season. Uh, so, you know, it's low, we, you know, we, we take only the first, you know, 10th. <laughs> there, of course, have been critics, you know, um, such as, such as Jerry West, but what about the proponents? Have you heard, I mean, I know McKinney's family loves it, have you heard from Pat Riley? We haven't heard from Pat Riley. We've heard from Spencer Haywood, who's obviously a central part of the, the narrative this season and who has, you know, really one of the most sensitive uh, mm -hmm. storylines insofar as, you know, he uh, had an awful addiction to crack cocaine or to, uh, uh, and um, or just in that, in those days, he was just smoking cocaine and um, and then was kicked off the team in the middle of the finals, uh, mm -hmm. and um, and then you know had, began a process of you know uh, trying to enlist a hitman to take out some of his teammates. Really fell far. Nowadays, uh, Spencer is uh, recovered. Uh, he's you know has this incredible uh, second act. And, uh, and he's been really, really uh, not only supportive of the show, like very supportive of the show and um, very vocal about it. And it's been really gratifying because it's, you know, obviously the whole show is incredibly uh, well-researched. Um, you know, all of these people, you know, from Pat Riley to Jerry West, to Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, everyone's written memoirs, uh, some of them multiple memoirs. And, uh, and we've, you know, we've done our best Obviously, it's a drama. We're dramatizing. We're not making a documentary, but we've, you know, we've been very uh, assiduous uh, about making sure that our portrayals are rooted in uh, in uh, in the facts. And uh, and the same went for Spencer Haywood. He he himself wrote a beautiful memoir. And so it's just really gratifying for a guy like that to reach out and to become such a vocal advocate for the show. And, you know, I think for him, he's a guy who's so, so central to the history of the NBA. And yet, uh, because of the way that his career ultimately ended, he's been very much forgotten. Uh, that, that stopped though, you know, he told a story that, uh, that um, he was at, I think, uh, one of the recent All-Star game, it's their 75th anniversary at like one of their, their uh, events. 
and uh, LeBron and Steph Curry and a bunch of the current stars were approaching. And he was standing near, I think it was Kareem and Magic. And he assumed that they were approaching Kareem and Magic because that's what everyone comes to pay deference to those guys. And instead, it turns out they were coming to approach Spencer uh, because they wanted to thank him for the way in which he, uh, you know, he took a case to the Supreme Court that really allowed uh, guys to jump from high school to the pros, which has been, you know, an extraordinarily uh, transformational uh, feature of the NBA in the last uh, several, five, four or five decades. So, Max. Is it is it true that your your next season you're only going a little bit forward where um, you know you know we see we see the demise of Westhead and uh, the struggle the struggle of Magic in the following season and then Jerry West going into the direction of becoming general manager is there anything more can you tease anything more like are we going to see any defining moments for Genie? There are, yes, there's major defining moments for Gene. It really is a season that's like paying off so much of the, if this is the season, this first season is the season where you meet everyone uh, that you, you later know as a certain kind of icon, but they haven't yet found that iconic form. They haven't kind of, they're the superheroes who have yet to sort of like don their costumes. The second season is really where the superheroes don the costumes. Uh, and that goes from, you know, that goes from, uh, you know, Pat Riley uh, to Jeannie Buss. Uh, they all sort of like really come into their own in really iconic ways um, that, uh, that still uh, are, I think, will be surprising for audiences where they're, because it happens in ways that, you know, people won't, even sports fans, like, won't be as familiar with and uh, I think will be really gratifying but uh, it really is the season in which you, you feel these, these iconic figures become the icons. Uh, when, that them to be. when did it cease to become a bubblegum and tape operation? Because he's, you know, Jerry's so much at the seat you know, of his it's, Yeah, I mean, Jerry and Jerry Buss, it's, it's uh, he really, he flew by the seat of his pants as a philosophy of life. Uh, it seems. And, uh, you know, years, a few years later in the mid eighties, uh, I think 83, 84, uh, the, uh, they finally sold the naming rights of the forum to great Western bank. It became the great Western forum famously. And it's also like, you know, one of the first, if not the first major, uh, sports arena naming rights deals. And that was really the moment that he finally, got a little bit of breathing room. But even then he, you know, he was constantly innovating and pushing and he was a gambler. Like he was literally a gambler uh, and, you know, inveterate's the wrong word, but obsessive and would play, you know, a poker player in late, late in life and, you know, a card player from early life and a horse a gambler. And just, you know, he was a gambler and a sports gambler. And so for him you know, and for a gambler, like there is no, uh, playing it safe. Have you heard from Jeannie? Uh, we, I have not spoken to Jeannie directly. I have not. Uh, but I've, but we've, you know, Jay Moore, uh, I just saw yesterday, who's Jeannie's um, 
uh, boyfriend, I guess, uh, just said on a podcast that they they watch it all and they love it and that it feels just you know feels just like her. So that was gratifying to uh, to see, and I hope that means that she's enjoying it. So on on Ryan Murphy's OJ series, I remember the actors distinctively did not reach out to their the real life counterparts that they were playing. Um, what, you know, there's a, there's two philosophies, you know, with acting, they either do and they authentically want to play them or they go straight off the script. Right. Were they encouraged to like try to reach out or no? Because I, I, I think obviously, you know, I, I, uh, we certainly they weren't they weren't either encouraged nor discouraged. Um, I think uh, you know I think HBO you know gave some certain parameters in terms of like you know obviously we're not getting anyone's rights. Uh, we're making this based on you know the facts and uh, uh, but you know people were you know and many of the actors did re forge relationships. Wood Harris, who plays Spencer Haywood, uh, became very close to him. You know Jim Jones. Uh, who's portrayed in the show is a huge fan of the show and is uh, the actor portraying him uh, became very close to him uh, and um, and so people were you know certainly uh, it was it was up to them and I think every actor kind of has a different philosophy as you say about it uh, because you know it's it's a it would be an odd thing to have a show made about your own life I, I imagine and it's also a very it, it's a it's a balance of a responsibility uh, to the, the the person you're portraying and responsibility to the story you're telling uh, for actors. So, you know, it's really, each of them takes it very seriously. You know, I've always been, I've always been fascinated by Pat Riley, you know, from the guy, you know, the guy that goes from the beach to the guy that just goes to the Armani suit. Are we, do you have a plan in place to go beyond season two? Will we actually see him go to the next? Uh, well, certainly beyond season two, we have a hope and dream and plan for, uh, and, uh, and, you know, getting him, getting him to the Knicks would take a few more seasons. Uh, and mm -hmm. so we live in faith and, and hope that, you know, if the audience shows up for season two, then, then, you know, we have an incredible plan for season three and, uh, we'll keep going. But, uh, it's, you know, part of the beauty of this show and from my standpoint in terms of the IP and the story, underlying story is that it has the potential, it has the fuel uh, to be something uh, that's truly epic, uh, where you look back and, and you really see the evolution of, of a dynasty. And you know, from its moment of inception that we just saw in this first season, uh, all the way to its downfall. And, uh, and the way to tell that right is to tell each segment of it uh, you know, to its fullest, which, you know, any great epic, you know, like Game of Thrones, that's, that's what they tried to do. And, you know, I think we have that potential in this material. And so it's on us to sort of, uh, to not fuck it up and hopefully earn our ability to, uh, keep on telling it. Max Borenstein, I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. 